This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. We have been going through, uh, methodically through this passage, a tremendous passage of talking about the vine and the branches. And it's about, really about abiding. And so there, I really was looking for some kind of a, of a way to describe this for a mental image because it helps me if I have a mental image of what this might look like. And so for me, I think as I come back to the scriptures, probably one of the best mental images I have in understanding what it means to abide is actually probably the picture of the Garden of Eden. I want you to picture with me in just for a moment is to think about the Garden of Eden. All right, now I like to have this kind of discussion and dialogue while I preach. And so I'm going to ask you some questions. So what are some of the things that are in the Garden of Eden? What do we have? Tree of life. Okay, what? God. It's good that God's there. (laughs) Okay, what else? What other do we have in in the Garden of Eden? The serpent. Okay, what else? The animals. Okay, great. What else? What? Fruit. There you go. Fruit. That's good. All right. What else? Adam and Eve. There we go. Good. All right. That's wonderful. So we have all this beautiful picture. Here's Adam and Eve, and they're walking in the garden of the day, and they're walking with God, and it seems like this beautiful relationship. But isn't it interesting that temptation is there? Temptation is there. However, they're walking in the garden, and God has created all these beautiful things. And it's not back to sitting back on their lounge chair, is it? They're actually working the garden. That's their responsibility. It's not about just having ease, but actually, they were given the opportunity, at least Adam was, to name the animals. They were given responsibility in the garden. And they had this beautiful relationship, this close relationship with God. How many of you would love to have a close relationship with God? Raise your hand. Yes, that's what abiding is. Abiding is to have a close relationship with God. And so we have this beautiful picture that is in the garden, and then something happens. Sin. And then they are escorted out of the garden. (laughs) And so now, since then, mankind has desired, because God placed it within them, to have a closer relationship with God. So in the Old Testament, what we find is that God created um, the opportunity to be in covenant with him, and that in this covenant that the people of God could draw closer to him. And then Jesus comes along, and he says, I am the answer to that, that you may truly have life and have it abundantly and be in relationship with the Father. And so through the Gospel of John, in fact, all of the Gospels, we see the story of Jesus, how he is interacting with humanity, how God is interacting with humanity, and he's trying to help them to understand this relationship and how beautiful this relationship is. I remember growing up, and this is just another memory that I have in my mind, and maybe you have this memory too. How many of you remember as a child sitting at the child's table during Thanksgiving? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it was fun because the adults weren't around, (laughs) so I could throw food at my brothers and not really get too much trouble. However, was there some sort of longing? So you're here at the children's table, and all of a sudden you're getting older, and you're looking over at the adult table, and you're saying, when do I get to go to the adult table? (laughs) Mm. 
God is inviting you to the adult table. God is inviting you to break bread with him. God is inviting you to be warm and feel comfortable in his arms and be used greatly with him and for his power and his promises to flow through you and to share his love. He wants to be with you. He wants to be very close with you. And he wants you to experience him. In fact, in the Gospel of John, it says, I want to make my home with you. Wouldn't it be beautiful to be able to experience God in his relationship that way where he builds his home with us and we live that way? My friends, it's possible. It's not only possible. It's what God desires. That's what it means to abide in fact, there's another word that we're going to take a look in the scriptures. It's the word remain. It's also a very similar word to abide. And so this is what he's saying is that I want you to abide with me, but you need to remain. So let's go ahead and take a look at the passage this morning. Let's take a look at John chapter 15. And we're going to go ahead and take a look at uh, starting with verse 5. Would you please stand with me as we stand? We're going to honor God and his word. And please follow along in your scriptures or on your app, and I will read. Okay, John chapter 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. To gather them, excuse me, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit, and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this passage, help us to understand what you're saying here. Because this, this passage can be a little disturbing. It can be kind of a little scary. Maybe it should be. Maybe we should take your words and apply them to our heart, to our lives, that we might abide with you. You are the vine. We are the branches. May we bear much fruit, your fruit. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, the outline for this morning um, is pretty much the text. I want us to go verse by verse to go through some of this so that we can understand what this passage means because it can be a little bit scary. So I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 5 because it's, un- it's important to understand the concept and the context of what Jesus is talking about. So what he's talking about is he's u- using an agrarian illustration or an analogy. And he's trying to help the people to understand what it means to abide, what it means to be close to God. And so, therefore, he gives the picture of this plant. And so, he says, I, my father is the groomsman. 
And so therefore, um, he, as the groomsman, as we go earlier into 15, I, but he, he, so he's talking about this. Father in the vineyard keeper, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. So he's talking about his relationship to the father. Now he's going to talk to us about our relationship to him. And it's the same relationship. But now he is going to be this vine and we're going to be the branch. You are already clean because of the word I have already spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. So now we're going to get down to verse 11. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be complete. Nope, I'm sorry. I skipped around too much. Let me go back just for a second here. Verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you cannot do nothing without me. Very important for us to understand this passage as Jesus is showing this illustration and helping us to understand he is the vine. We are the branch. Where is the proper place for a branch? Is it on the vine or is it on the ground? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> the proper place for a branch is on the vine. He's going to give us a very, very stark reality of the difference between a branch on the vine and a branch on the ground. So here in this passage, as we start off and take a look at verse, um, starting off here in verse uh, five, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will produce much fruit. Folks, the greatest thing that we can do as a believer in Jesus Christ is to be used of God. One of the greatest things that we can do are to do things with our life that have eternal value. The way that we do that, the way that we experience that relationship is to remain connected to the vine and listen to what he says. I have been impacted a great deal by the works of Henry Blackaby. How many of you have heard of Henry Blackaby before? Raise your hand. Okay. Let me tell you a little bit about the story of Henry Blackaby. In fact, this book, I don't know if you've ever gone through this book, but it's a book called Experiencing God, Knowing and Doing the Will of God. Have any of you you heard of this book before? Okay. It's a really great study, and it really impacted my life. And so let me tell you the story, though, of what got someone to ask Henry Blackaby to write this book. This book is really about how to abide. That's what I wanted to just introduce you to it if you haven't seen it before. But let me tell you the life of Henry Blackaby. He had been a pastor in a couple different places. He is in now in Canada. And there is a church, a very small church. And they say to Henry, Henry, we want you to come be our pastor. But if you can't come and be a pastor, we're going to close the doors. There's nothing going around in our town. There's nothing going on in our church. We're running out of money. The building's falling down. Henry, would you please come and be our pastor? So Henry, as he does, he prayed. It didn't make sense for him in his mind, at least in what he saw around him, that he would want to go to a dying church to go be their pastor. How many of y'all think that would be a great assignment? Hey, let's go find something that's dying. (laughs) What do many guys or gals want to be a part of? They want to be a part of something that's growing. They want to be a part of something that's going. They want to be a part of something that's a feel good. This wasn't that. It wasn't that. One thing you need to understand that to imbibe with Jesus, sometimes it will cost you a great deal. Because that's what abiding requires. It's not about what we want to do. It's about what? 
what he wants to do. He's got this worked out. He's got this plan. So Henry goes. He goes and becomes the pastor of the church. And so for years, they're praying and they're trying to seek the Lord. And the labor was hard. It took them several years before only a couple of people came to know Christ. Some of the church leaders that had invited him to come and be the pastor, they were standing in the way of people coming to know Jesus. And so he was praying and he was fervently seeking God. And so God began to work. And God said, Henry, I want you to begin planting churches. So it was sort of like, with what? <laughs> How do you want me to do that? So as he was praying, though, one of the things that he had said to God, I want to know where you're at work. I want to know where you are, and I want to be there. I want to be where you're at work because I want to be a part of your activity. And so he had made a promise to God that whenever somebody asked to do a Bible study, he would go to that person, and he would start a Bible study with that group. And so people started coming to him and saying, I don't know why, but I just have this sense that I'm, I've been wanting someone to help start a church out here. And he said, well, we'll help you do that. And so there's these people that are asking for these Bible studies. And he said, Lord, this isn't creating a problem because I don't have people to send them. He said, where am I supposed to do? All these places are asking for these Bible studies. I, don't, I can't go. And so God led him into prayer, and through prayer, he said, you live next door to a university. Every single one of those pastors will come from there. So he decided, okay. So he went on to the university campus, and he started walking around the university campus, trying to see where God is at work. And from that, he started leading people to Christ through the university. He started the seminary that still exists today in Calgary. And so he started to train these young individuals and these families on going to these places. Out of that small congregation, 32 churches were planted. 32 churches were planted. Many came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then people seeing this, they asked Henry to write this book with Claude King. This book has been translated into over 65 languages. Millions upon millions of individuals have gone through this study, and it has wrecked them. Why? Because he took the word of God, and he said, now, this is how you abide. This is how you abide. And so for us to understand how we abide, we have to go back to the word, and we have to see how Jesus abides. We have to see that. But we first have to start to understand how important it is that we abide. First of all, we can do nothing. Now, let me ask you a question. How much nothing is nothing? Nothing of eternal significance. Because I know, God, when I wake up in the morning, I feel like I'm pretty much a blessing to everybody around. Okay. <laughs> you keep thinking that, and you will probably not do well. In fact, I can think of some things I can do really, really well. For example, I know that I can dance really, really well. In fact, I just think, see, one of the things I love to do is dance is I love to dance, not because I'm good at it, because it embarrasses my children. <laughs> She's not embarrassed yet. Okay, well, we'll just go ahead. <laughs> well, maybe God doesn't want to use my dancing. <laughs> 
Maybe God just wants me to stop. How many of you would say, yes, please stop dancing? <laughs> well, then, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to do something of eternal significance. Because I have created for you good works to do. I've already created them for you to do. I just want you to join me in those things. Because you are my hands and feet. And you have the message to share. If you know that Jesus Christ was the one who was on the cross, was sent by the Father died on the cross, was buried, and on the third day rose again and gave a message for all to share. If you know that message and you have received Jesus Christ in your heart and you believe that you are a believer, say amen. You've got a job to do. You are very important in the kingdom. And therefore, it's our opportunity to be at work with God to do what God is asking us to do. Because if we're not doing that, how much good are we really? Hmm. Funny you should ask. Let's take a look at the next verse. Verse 6. If anyone does not remain. Okay, here's that word, remain. We're going to take a look at that in just a few moments. But if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Wow. Whew. Let me ask you a few questions here. What does that sound like to you? What does, it, is, uh, does that sound good to you? Everybody go like this. No. So that's, that's a hard thing, isn't it? That's a hard, hard thing, okay? Now, some may read this, and they're thinking about their relationship with God, and may, some may come to the conclusion that, well, what does this sound like if someone is cut off, they're on the ground, and burned? What does that sound like to you? Anybody? Anybody? Ooh, that's a hard word, brother. But can I tell you that at least this, from what I have understood and what I'm understanding this passage, that's not necessarily what that means. It's trying to show the stark reality of those that remain and those that don't. One of the passages and one of the things that I want us to begin taking a look at is to understand this word remain and how it applies to this passage and to other passages as well. We have to remember who Jesus was talking to. And Adam, or, uh, Andrew brought this up um, earlier, and Kurt has been talking about this, is that he is talking at this point, this is right before the cross, so who is he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. So as he's talking to his disciples, there are some that are going to remain, and those that are a part of what Jesus is doing, but are all 12 his? What's one individual that's not his? Jesus, or Judas. <laughs> Judas. <laughs> so here is Judas, and he's listening to this, but will he remain? And the answer is no, because actually, Judas was not really with them. 
To understand this remain word, we actually need to go to another part of Scripture to help us to understand this. This is one of the things I love about the Word of God. The Word of God will actually define itself. The Word of God will actually help us to understand what the Word is saying. We don't have to go to Google all the time. <laughs> we don't have to always ask Siri. We can actually ask God, and what does the Word of God say? So this is what I want you to do. I want you to hold your finger in the Gospel of John, and I want you to go to another letter written by John, and that would be 1 John. So if you'll turn to 1 John. First John, and I want you to take a look at chapter 2. And I want you to take a look at verse 19. Now, so this is the same author. And so he's going to actually help us to understand what it means to remain. So take a look at verse 19. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have what? Remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. So actually what this passage is referring to is not somebody who is saved or actually a part of the vine. It was actually a child of God and then loses their salvation. But actually it has to do with someone who it seemed like was a part of the group. Did they think Judas was a part of the group? They did. They thought that he was. They didn't understand it that when Judas got up from the table, he was going to betray the Lord. It was a surprise. Now, I know this is the first time that somebody within the church has ever surprised you by their activity. <laughs> Have you ever been surprised by somebody's activity that just doesn't seem, well, seems out of character of who they are? <laughs> Me. Sometimes I'm out of character. But there are those who are children of God, and they're out of character. And there are those who are not of God, and they're in character. But see, all we see is what's going on on the outside. We don't know. So we're here in this passage, there is this remain, and this word remain. And this word remain is used constantly in 1 John. If you want even a better understanding of what that is, read the book of 1 John. And the whole book of 1 John is about this understanding of those who remain, what they're going to do. And that you can tell. You can tell. Now, I know that for some of you, you have asked the question. It's not a bad question. I wonder if I'm saved. I, this is a rhetorical question. But I'm going to raise my hand. Because there was a time in which I was, I was asking the question, <laughs> why did I just do that? Am I really saved? Am I really a believer? Understand this. Does God want you to know if you're saved or not? Yes. Can I read you some scripture? First John. First John, as we take a look at First John, I mean, it's full of this to help us to understand 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, the one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. I've heard people say this before. All of God's children. Well, just understand that according to John, those who are, are God's children are those who've come to faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who believe. 
Not everybody on the earth are all of God's children. That's just what the scripture says. So therefore, but let's continue. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants you to know. He wants you to be assured. How do you know if someone's saved? Scripture teaches us that. In fact, it says that in this passage that we're going to read today. So as we take a look at this, as we take here in in, uh, John chapter 15, and he continues on, verse 7, if you remain in me, in other words, you really are part of me, you really are part of me, and you're abiding with me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. It's having to do with prayer. So if we're walking together, and I'm trying to do the works of God, and I'm trying to do the things that God wants me to do, and my prayer is... Lord, (laughs) would you please empower me to do that which is right and do your works? Do you think maybe that's a good prayer? And we go like this. Yeah, that's a good prayer. Dear Jesus, I really, 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 really need a new Escalade that may or may not be within the will of God. Just because I pray it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Although I'd like to show of hands, how many of you think I should have an Escalade? Raise your hand. Well, praise God, this isn't a democracy. <laughs> but you see, what God is saying here is as we're doing the works, and as we're doing what God is telling us to do, and what he is saying is that he's going to give us the desires of our heart. In other words, he's going to put in us what he wants to do so that he can fulfill the works because he's got a plan. So, We continue on. So as we continue on here in John, where are we? Verse 7. If you remain in me and my word remain, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified in this that you produce much fruit and prove, prove to be my disciple. How do you prove that someone is a disciple of Jesus? Because... They do the things God tells them to do. You know, we start taking a look at this passage, and, and we start looking at these words that talks about how much God loves us, and we just love that. But he's going to connect our love with us being obedient. And there's no way to separate that. There's no way to separate. I know we like to think of love as an emotion. I just love you. But if love has no sacrifice, can you really call it love? Because I can say to my wife, I love you, but really what I want is something from her. One of my children can say, oh, I love you. And what they want is they want something from me or from my wife. Not that my children would ever do that. Or sometimes I say, God, I love you. But all I really want is not relationship with him. I just want him to be my butler and to give me what I want. Because that's his job. His job is to make sure that I, well, 
I live a full and meaningful life. And his job is pretty much to do whatever I ask him to do because I've asked in Jesus' name. That's the trick, right? That's the, that's the, that's the secret clue. That's the secret word. Just put in Jesus' name. I think God sees through that. I think God understands what kind of heart that's coming from. It's coming from a selfish heart. It's coming from me, mine, mine. And so what he says, as he's trying to help us to understand, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. You keep my commands. You will remain in my love. Now, understand this. Is that God's love is not so, such a fickle thing. But to understand what God has given to us. God has given to us so much. His love abounds so much. I've heard people say, oh, I don't know about the Bible because it's a book of don'ts. There's so many things I'm not supposed to do. <laughs> if you read about all the do's, and if you do all the do's, you won't have time to do the don'ts. <laughs> but to understand this, if you think about the commands of God, why don't you share with me some of the commands of God? What are some of the commands of God? Just go ahead and share some with me. Honoring your father and your mother. You all hear that? <laughs> no. Yes. All right. That's good. What else? What other, what other commands do we know about? Love your neighbor. What else? Did you say one? No. Same one. All right. Good. Love the Lord your God. All right. What else? Don't murder. Hey, there's a good one. <laughs> good. All right. No other eyes before. Good. Now, if you think about this, some of these commands, some are from the Old Testament and some are from the New Testament. So when he's saying, I want you to follow my commands, understand is that in the Old Testament, do you realize that what God did through the Ten Commandments is he created a framework by which the Jewish people, the people of Israel could live in his love. It wasn't just a list of don'ts. It was a list of safety, a list of his provision. A list by which I'm going to create this space and you live within this and you'll experience my provision. You'll experience my love. I will protect you. That's not a list. That's a relationship. And so he was creating for them a safety and a love and to say, I want you to remain in my love. Now you can choose to live outside of that if you want to. But you're going to be like a branch on the ground. What good is a branch on the ground? It doesn't bear fruit. So now if you think about what God is saying, is saying, I want you to remain in my life. I want you to remain in that experience. I want to bring you to the big table. I want you to experience all that I have for you. How many of you want to experience all that God has for you? Thank you. That's why we were created so that we can experience him in that way. But brothers and sisters, friends, understand this. It's not so that we can be convenienced. It's so not that we can be greater consumers. It's so that we can fulfill his plan and do what he's asked us to do and to do things that are of eternal value. I'm going to ask you a hard question. Tomorrow, you're going to be faced with a decision, or maybe even today. Is your greatest desire, 
is for your convenience or for eternal values? Which will we choose? I don't know. <laughs> I kind of like that show, Friends. <laughs> I love to watch that show a lot. <laughs> or I like to watch this, or I like to do this, you know. I really love to do this. And if those things in and of themselves are not bad, but if they get in the way of us abiding and doing what God has asked us to do, we may need to check our heart and ask, am I doing this for me? So when we think about this passage and we think about what God is saying, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that my joy may be complete. It's about abiding. I want you to turn in your Bibles to a few passages before, and I want you to understand how Jesus does this. Sometimes we think that Jesus kind of walks about a foot off the ground, and we think he has blonde hair, and we think there are all kinds of things about this lifestyle, but understand that do you realize that Jesus was one of the greatest followers that ever lived? He followed everything his father told him to do, and that's what he's asking you to do. I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. John, chapter 5. Start off in verse 17. Jesus responded to them, my father is still working, and I am working also. Who's working here in this passage? Who's working? The father and Jesus. Jesus. See, the father is always at work. He is always working. There's not a time in which he is not working on somebody's heart or he, there's things that he's wanting to accomplish. Now, I want you to go ahead and jump down to verse 19. I don't know if you've read this passage or if you might have skipped over and not understood it. But understand what Jesus is saying here. He, this is how he abides with the Father. He says, then Jesus replied, I assure you the Son is not able to do anything on his own. Jesus said that. He is not able to do anything on his own. But only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, the son also does these things in the same way. Now, the next time you start reading through the Gospels, I want you to look for something. How does Jesus know what the father wants him to do? He's on the way to Jairus' house, and somebody's called him and said, hey, my daughter's sick, and he, would you please come and heal her? Well, that's, that's what he's supposed to be doing, right? That's what he's here for do. So he's heading to the doctor. Or he's heading to this girl's house or this, this guy's house, and all of a sudden, some lady in the, in the, in the crowd reach out, and he do, and does what? Touches the hem of the garment. And all of a sudden, he says he feels the power flow through him. He says, Stop! Why did he do that? He was on the way to go do a healing. Why in the world would he stop? Because that's the father's activity. All of a sudden, the power that went through him and from him healed this woman from bleeding many, many years. Now, he's got one of two things he can do. Hey, glad that happened to you. I got somewhere to go. <laughs> or he could say, Stop. Dear daughter, understand what just happened. All of a sudden, there's this coffin going by. What does he do? He stops them. 
He sees the father at work. He stops them and he says, be raised. Here's this man, this wee little man. His name is what? Zacchaeus. Where is Zacchaeus? Here's this little Jewish man. He's up inside of a tree. It's not normal for a Jewish man to be up inside of a tree, except what? He's seeking God. He, you know, one thing that you realize about God's activity, and you can know God's activity, if somebody is seeking God, that is God. That's not them. Because no one can come to God except the Father draws them. So therefore, he stops and says, hey, Zacchaeus, guess what? Come out of the tree. We got business. And if you take a look, this is exactly what Jesus does. He's doing his father's work. And this is the same thing you and I should do. To see where God is at work and join him in that. And if all of a sudden we see where God is working to be immediately available, this is God's work. And we can learn how to do that. <laughs> this is kind of an embarrassing situation, but this has happened a couple different different ways in my own life. I want to share with you just in the last few moments. But I was pastoring a small church in uh, Florida. Significant, amazing things that God was doing. But I happened to be at the building one day, and I was in my shorts and a t-shirt, and I was, and uh, I was just there getting ready for Sunday. And then all of a sudden, there's this guy who walks in, and he's got scrubs on. And uh, he just had walked from the hospital that was about three minutes away, except there was a problem. He says, I don't know what to do. I don't have anywhere to go. And also is that I have, well, I, I lost my control of my body, and I have pooped in my pants, and I have peed in my pants, and I don't know what to do. Well, he's standing in the foyer, and it's all on the floor now. And so I said, okay. They never taught me this in seminary, and I'm not really sure what to do with this. <laughs> so <laughs> I said, okay, all right, well, let's go ahead and let's take you on it. Let's go ahead and take you into the men's bathroom here, and let's, let's just go ahead and have you come in there. And what we're going to do is I'm going to see if I can't wash those pants out. So he takes his scrubs off, and so he's just kind of standing naked there in the bathroom with his shirt on. And so I've got these pants. And so I'm taking these pants outside. I'm going to take them to the hose, and I'm trying to hose those pants off. And they're scrubs, and there's, I can't get that stuff off his scrubs. And so I'm pouring this water on this, and it's just not working. I can't get these things clean. And now, since I've just doused them with water, they're soaking wet. <laughs> and so I was going, great, now what do I do? Because... He's got nothing to wear. <laughs> so I was thinking, well, I don't know. So the trash can was right there, so I just put him in the trash. I walked back in. And so I said, you know, um, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then it just hit me. <laughs> this, this thought, give him yours. <laughs> now I remember something about giving a cloak. <laughs> So I said, okay. And so I just take off, thankfully I had underwear on, and so I just take off my shorts, and I got my tennis shoes on, and so I said, here. <laughs> and he looks at me and says, okay. <laughs> so he goes back at the bathroom, and I see all this stuff all over the floor, so I said, I've got to clean this up. So I go get the mop. I'm here in my underwear in the lobby, and I'm sitting there mopping the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get this clean, and all of a sudden, it just hits me. 
What if somebody comes in? <laughs> oh, I'm walking out so much faster now. But see, in the moment, as I was thinking about this later, I really was abiding, but then fear struck my heart. And so all of this was for the point that I could share with him about who Jesus is. And so I got so afraid in the moment that somebody was going to see me in my underwear. I just went real quick. I said, hey, you know what? Um, I'm glad that you've been helped, and I just want you to know that God loves you. And I went back to my mopping. And then he walks out the door, and I'm still mopping. And so finally, I try to get in my car. I got to go from the, from the church building to the car. So I'm kind of hurrying to, the <laughs> to my car. And I'm just thinking, Lord, please don't let me get arrested. <laughs> At least don't let the cops stop me. And so I get to the house, and I walk in the house. And there, I don't even know if my kids remember this or not, but my wife looks up and says, what happened to you? <laughs> Oh, you know, it was just a day at church. <laughs> so it's so funny about how this could happen. Is that in the moment, man, I really felt like that's what I was supposed to do. But in the moment, fear hit my heart. And as all of a sudden, I forgot why I did it. You see, this can happen so often. Is that we can be abiding and abiding and all of a sudden something creeps in. Just like that tree that's sitting in the middle of the garden. And it can rob us what God's trying to accomplish in us and through us. All I can do is pray that that guy understood how much he was loved. He's got my pants. <laughs> but you see, this is what abiding is at the moment, even though it may cost you. You choose God. And the reason is because you have spent time in God's word, meditating on God's word, because you have to build a relationship with God in order for you to be able to hear God. So like any relationship, you have to have time with that person. You have to communicate with that person. The same is true with God. He is just not a glorious bellhop that's here to do our bidding, but rather that we might be in relationship and we can do this together. And so my encouragement to you today would be to abide. But the way you do that is spend time in his word, meditating on his word, and spending time in prayer. And let me real quickly, if, you, if no one's ever taught you this, let me just show you how I do it. This doesn't mean this is how you should do it. But just do it. Some way, somehow, begin the process where you're spending enough time in the word and spending enough time in meditating on God's word and in prayer. Let me give you an acronym. It's called SOAP. S-O-A-P. It says, Jesus said, I've already cleansed you with the word that I gave you. Then use the word to clean your soul. SOAP stands for scripture, observation, application, prayer. So the next time you're in the Word, write down the section that you're, you're actually studying or meditating on. Write it out, Scripture. Make some observations about that passage, some things that Jesus or somebody else is trying to teach. A, application. Make application to your own life. And then pray that. Write your prayer out. God... Your scripture here is teaching me to, to, to obey your commands. That means the past, 
commands. That means the present commands that Jesus should share in the gospel. But it also means maybe in the future that God is going to lead me to do something that maybe I don't completely understand. But you do. But what's really important is that I know that it's God that said it. And then what I do is I have a journal that I put my soaps in. Or I put um, stuff in that I put in. Um, that I, notes I've taken from sermons that I've heard or otherwise. And so I've created a journal. On the front part of my journal, I leave for a table of contents. And then I have my prayer page. And I've got different days of the week. And I use sticky tabs, post-it notes. And I write things on the post-it notes of, of when I need to pray for that on what days. And so then I have in one place my prayer and opportunity to pray for others. And then my soaps. Or the word and how it's speaking to me. But what's really good about this is that over time and looking at this journal or at other journals, I can see maybe what God has been saying to me and where God is leading me. But understand that a life lived. A life lived in such a way as Jesus lived it. It is a life worth living. Because all we're doing is trying to climb the ladder of success. And we get to the top of the ladder and then realize it's on the wrong wall. And I've spent my life, I've spent my life doing a whole lot of things, maybe even good things, but were they eternal things? Hmm. I'm going to end with this, and it's one of my stories that I love, um, and it's the story of Hudson Taylor. Do you all know Hudson Taylor? Have you heard of him? He was a missionary to China, and he was writing about how he was called to China, and um, as he was called to China, um, his mom went uh, to, uh, the, to this place that he was being, um, he was getting board a boat. And so this is the journal entry from Hudson Taylor. My beloved, now sainted mother had come to see me off from Liverpool. Never shall I forget that day, nor how she went with me into that little cabin that was to be my home for nearly six months long. In other words, before he got into the boat, he was in a little place for six months to prepare to leave. With a mother's loving hand, she smoothed the little bed. She sat by my side and joined me in the last hymn that she would sing together before the long parting. We knelt down and we prayed the last mother's prayer I was to hear before starting for China. Then notice was given that we must separate. We said goodbye. For my sake, she restrained some of her feelings, but we parted, and when she went on shore, giving me her blessing, I stood alone on deck, um, and she followed the ship as we moved toward the dock gates. As we passed through the gates, and the separation really commenced, I shall never forget the cry of anguish wrung from that mother's heart. It went through me like a knife. I never knew so fully until then what God so loved the world meant. And I'm quite sure that my precious mother learned more of the love of God to the perishing in that hour than all her life before. Praise God 
he says, states, the numbers of people coming to faith in Jesus are increasing. The sacrifice that he was willing to do, leaving his widowed, newly widowed mother in that place because he had a calling on his life. And so because he was willing to do that, he learned much about who God is. And she learned much about who God is. And it was at great cost. But listen to the gain. Hudson Taylor, because he went there, by the end of his life in 1905, he had been used by God to found the China Inland Mission. There were 205 preaching stations. In other words, little churches, maybe. Preaching stations. 849 missionaries that were sent out. 125,000 Chinese Christians. They were now going to have an eternal home in heaven. And why? Because he was willing to leave his home. Because he was willing to listen to the command of God and do what God asked him to do. You know, this abiding thing is not only just about you and me, it's about us as a church. That we would be listening to God and whatever ministries or whatever it is that God would have us to do. You know, we've enjoyed being a part here at the BCM. I see no immediate reason why we wouldn't continue to do that. But what if God told us to get up and go across town? If God was truly saying that, would we say no? I don't know. I'm not pretty comfortable here at the BCM. Hey, whatever God asks, the answer should be yes. Because of what may happen, that how God may use us because the alternative is completely unacceptable to be a branch on the ground and good for nothing except collected for fire. God, please. Please. May we listen to your voice, hear your heart, no matter what the cost may be. Yes, Lord.